What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Woo, I love the cheering section. That's so fun. <laughs> Hi, Jenna. Welcome Hi. to the Birth Story Podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Heidi. How are you? I'm so good. good. And I am really excited to talk to you today about your business, Instagram, and your four birth stories. Oh my gosh, yes. And I, I, it's hard. We're just going to like kind of jump into it more than my audience is used to because we're usually doing like one birth story, <laughs> but I need my audience to learn from you today about how different all of your birth experiences were and how your mindset shifted on the type of birth experiences that you wanted as your journey of parenthood went on. And so we're going to try to get to all four, okay, okay? which is going to be crazy. (laughs) We can do it. Yeah, I think we can do it. So for everyone listening, I had the privilege of being Jenna's doula sort of for her third (laughs) and sort of for her fourth. And we'll get into what that means, right? And we're going to talk about how different It can be to have a first birth experience versus a second, a third, and then fourth. And how sometimes the ones that you think are going to be the easiest are the most challenging and all the things. So we're going to talk about, you know, choices for medicated and unmedicated birthing also. So Jenna, yay. All right. Before we get started, I love your Instagram. You've been doing reels before reels were a thing. So can you tell everyone how to follow you? 
Sure. I'm on Instagram at parenthood and pushups. And then I have a blog that also is the same title, parenthood and pushups. And it really is just to share the real, the hilarious, the clean, uplifting versions of what it is to be a mom because it can be a lot. And so it's fun when you can see somebody else who also is doing it and feel like it's relatable. You are hilarious and you have four kids and I never know like how in the world, like I have done, I think two reels and we are recording this in January of 2022. So like I'm way behind in the real world. It just takes some practice. It just takes practice and a little planning and and that's about it. But uh, you could totally do it too. Oh my gosh. Well, yours are so funny. I loved your carpool one, which was like a year ago, probably like the most like waiting in the carpool line that is seriously real life me though like that's I think the most important thing about all of those is that not a single thing that I produce is not completely and totally real of what I do um and and you know I've got a really good one coming soon it's bath time before kids versus bath time after kids and it's like the legit truth of what it is like to to do those things Oh, I love it. All right. Well, if you guys are driving and you couldn't write it down, I will put a link to Jenna's Instagram and her blog in the show notes. If you are listening to this, not live, (laughs) because I don't know how to do show. I don't know how to do show notes live on Fireside. Um, So we are recording this live. It will be an unedited show. So you're going to get all of it. Oh, boy. It's all right. Every now and then we throw a cuss word. It's okay. Fires. Okay. I haven't, they haven't told me I'm not allowed to do that yet. Okay. So okay. we will keep doing it. All right. Well, let's start at the very, very kind of beginning okay. as much as we can to get to four birth stories, but like okay. a little bit about like, how did you meet your husband and what did family planning like look like for you? Cause I'm assuming to have four, I don't know how many kids you're going to get to four kids. That's a conversation. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But yeah. definitely four and done. Um, we're, we're very, very pleased with our family and we love every one of our kids and we're very grateful for them. And we're also very glad to know that we're good. Okay. We're, we're good. We're done. Good. Um, but yeah, so Jonathan and I met um, in college, we were tour guides together. Um, so he's a year older than me. We met in the tour guide office one summer working on campus. He was in charge of training me. I was the new tour guide and I totally played like, oh, I don't understand. I think I need some extra help. Do you think you could, you know, tell me a little bit more? And so I um, I kept asking him questions and then we just never stopped hanging out. And I would say within the first two months of being together, we knew that we were going to get married. Um, and we just were, we were just that kind of couple. And, and I'm very grateful for that because, um, I knew from the beginning. And so that was in college. We got married really young. Um, I was 23, 23. Yeah. I was 23 when we got married. Um, which I think is funny because most people are like, are you sure? I mean, that's young. That's fast for, for today's generation. A lot of people wait and we just knew like there was just no question about it. Um, and pretty much right after we got married, I was like, all right, let's have some kids. And he was like, hold on a minute. Like, let's just wait a little while. Let's live a little bit of the married life. Let's, let's get some years under our belt. And so we waited, um, we lived in Pennsylvania for a couple of years. And finally, when we decided it was time to have kids, we moved 
back to North Carolina where we are both from, where both of our parents live. Um, and we had Emily, who was our oldest, um, in 2016 and I was 27 and he was 28. So we were, we were very ready, but at the same time, can you ever really be ready for your first kid? Like we were ready, but not really, you know? Right. Oh, I, oh, I know. And I was a whole decade older than you, you when I went into parenthood too. So you were 27 years old. You'd been married for four-ish years, been together for a little bit longer than yeah. that. And um, what did that conversation look like when you started to family plan? Um, you know, it's an actually really um, unique story. It's it's not one that I've really told a lot of people about. So my father-in-law is a cancer survivor. Um, and when he was going through treatments, when we were living in Pennsylvania, it was something that we were seriously talking about how we wanted to make sure that we, we had time with him. Um, and now he's in remission. He is fine. He is doing great. Um, but at the time when you're going through those things and you wonder, that was really a big, a big decision factor for us of like, we want to make sure that we have, cause we were the first ones to get married on both sides of our family and we were the first ones to have a child. So we wanted to make sure that he at least had a grandchild. Um, and now he has seven. So, um, four of them are ours and then three are others from the other side. But, um, that was a huge, a huge factor for us in starting that conversation was like, we want him to have grandkids. That is so sweet. I thought you were going to go the opposite of it. Like my brain is like, if I was later having cancer, I would want to be surrounded by lots of children, <laughs> you know, right. that's, that's how my brain jumped to it mm -hmm. when you did it is I'm like, oh, you know, if I go through this hard thing, you know, I would love the love of my children around me during those hard things. So what a beautiful gift. Did you guys say right away, like we want to have four kids? Oh, no. Okay. Mm -mm. Well, I'm one of five and he's one of four. So we knew we wanted more than two. Okay. Um, but as my parents always said, my parents said that they had the discussion. They said they'd have two and a talk. And then they okay. ended up with five kids. Um, and so we knew, you know, definitely more than two. But after that, we were kind of kind of, mm, we'll see. I mean, kids are expensive. You got to have them have to sleep somewhere. You got to put clothes on their backs. You got to feed them. They got to go to school. Um, so what we decided was we were going to get through the first one okay. and then after that we would definitely have a second one, but we didn't know what else we would do going forward. And, um, once we had Maggie, we knew we weren't finished. Maggie's our third and we can talk about her birth later, but, um, she was, we knew she was not the, the final portion of our family yet. And so, um, we knew we were, we were in for at least one more. Okay. Well, let's get into Emily's birth story. Okay. And I want to start with, you're 27 years old. Yes. Do you know anything about your fertility? Like, do you have a cycle every 28 days? Like, were you on birth control? I wasn't on birth control. I did not know a ton about fertility. I think it's hilarious how hard you work as an adult to not have a baby until you decide that you want to have a baby and you realize, like, can I have a baby? Is that something that's possible? Um, so I did not know a lot about that going in at all. Um, and again, I was 27. I don't think that there are a ton of people that I knew at that time that were having kids. I had, you know, first in both sides of our family and in my friend group and all that kind of stuff. So, um, when we decided, we just were kind of like, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll go from there. Um, I would say 
generally we are extremely blessed with fertility. And I know that that is not something that everybody has. And, and I do not take that for granted that we, we did not have difficulty with our fertility. Um, but I also didn't know anything going into it at all. I really didn't. Yeah. Well, this is what I say over and over again on this podcast. We all have our hard Mm-hmm. And your hard might not be fertility, but there are other hards. And I know, I know at least one of your other hards. Yes. Okay. And so we, we get our hards, right? Like yep. I wish we were all breezing through this life, but um, some nice. of our journeys look hard in one way and hard in another way. Mm-hmm. So you were already not on birth control. So did you just start timing like sex or were you just like, we'll just have sex whenever and see what happens? Yeah. I mean, I, we were just kind of like, let's just... We, with all four of our kids, the way that we phrased it was we were not, not trying. So like we were not officially putting a label on like, yes, we are trying. No, we're not trying or anything like that. It was like, if we have another kid, then this is when we are supposed to have this child. Um, And and that was definitely a faith-based choice for us. We, We were kind of in that place where like, we knew that if there was a child that was made, then that child was supposed to be here for a reason. And, and so we were, we, we just were like, all right. And it, so it was January of 2016 that okay. um, there was actually a massive blizzard in Pennsylvania. So we call Emily our blizzard <laughs> baby, which totally weirds my sisters out because, you know, talking about conception before you have kids, it's kind of like a weird thing. Um, but now I'm like, yeah, she was, she was conceived in the middle of a blizzard. I mean, what else are you going to do when you're legitimately snowed in? So Yep. My little sister was a blizzard baby. There you go. She was born in 1994. So there must have been a blizzard in 1993 in Asheville, North Carolina, because my mom calls her the blizzard baby. Yep. So Emily was our blizzard baby. She was born October of 2016. Okay. So I do have a question about that when people say like, we're not not trying, right? Yes. There's only like a couple of days a month where you're actually fertile. So like, did, did it cross your mind ever? Like, well, I had my period two weeks ago. So like, I might be ovulating or like, did you have none of those thoughts? And it was just like, no clue, not a single with the other kids. I knew more and it took, um, just a a little bit of time for me to kind of figure it out and finagle it with Emily because like, I just didn't even. I mean, when I say I didn't know anything, I mean, like I legitimately learned on the job of like, oh yeah, we got to like time these things and learn about this and figure it out. And so anybody who has not had a child yet and, and is going in being like, I have, I, I don't know. I have no clue. Me too. I didn't yeah. know at all. How do you know? Now I actually went in for family planning with my obstetrician, but I was also over the age of 35. So we wanted to talk about it and I will never forget my OB saying the number one reason for infertility in cis hetero couples is not enough sex. <laughs> I was like, oh, like how much sex should we be having then? And he was like, every other day, Ooh. if you want to have a baby. And I was like, oh, that that is a lot of sex. That is. I was like, That's okay. a commitment. That is a commitment. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's an easier commitment when you don't have any children, but once like even one child comes along, that becomes like a much greater commitment. Right. All right. So here you are snowed in and you conceive Emily. How did you know you were pregnant? Uh, I took a test actually on Valentine's day of that year of 2016 (laughs) I remember being like, oh, you know, it's like a lazy Saturday morning or something. I got up and like, I'm going to take a test because I'm like within a certain amount of time of my period, I'm going to 
we'll see. And I, I yelled to John, I'm like, John, get in here. And he's like, what? I'm like, pregnant. And he's like, oh. And then we were both kind of like looking at each other like, now what? What do you do? Like, okay, we're pregnant. Obviously, we have a long way to go before there's a baby. Obviously, we're like very, very at the beginning of this. We're not going to tell everyone. So you want to go to the grocery store? Like, that's what we did. We're like, all right, let's <laughs> let's go get some groceries and meal plan for the week. Like, it was just a very weird moment of like, we were so excited. And then we were like, uh, I guess we just keep going now. Yeah. How were your pregnancies? And I'll do that plural. Okay. Were they so all different? They were very different, but there were some really similar patterns to them. Um, I felt worse with every kid. And I think that was one of the mm. reasons why by the time that we got to the fourth, I was, I was okay to be done um, okay. because I think there are a couple of different factors. One being I got older with each kid. I had had other children. So my body adjusted more quickly to being pregnant. I had my kids quickly. So my body was still probably very hormonal and, and getting back into all of that. And then also I had more kids each time to take care of. So there was less opportunity for me to take care of me. So I think that that also made me feel worse. Um, I would say, Emily, I was not expecting how horrible you can feel, right? Like it just was with every step of the way, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize when they say this, that it actually meant this. Like, you know, you think sometimes, well, maybe we're, we're hormonal and we're dramatic or whatever. And, and it was like, no, this, this stinks. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy this. And then with Sophie, um, being pregnant the second time, I was like, yeah, I know I'm not going to feel good. But then it was like, oh man, I really don't feel good. And I want to go take a nap, but I've got this other kid I have to take care of. And, and so with each child, I feel like that was a huge factor for me of like, I just didn't feel well for longer with each time. Cause I was taking care of other kids. Yeah. Any tips for those listening on how to make yourself feel a little bit better? Yeah. I would say for me, um, in general, overall pregnant or not pregnant, there are three major pillars to, to a recipe for a good day. And that's to eat well, get some sleep and to exercise. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when I'm not meeting those pillars when I'm not taking care of myself, um, pregnant or not, it does make it harder to feel good or to be mentally sound to endure a long day or whatever it is. So especially when you're pregnant, I think trying to just eat as well as you can, get as much rest as you can, and to get out and exercise, even just walking and stretching and moving your body a little bit, whatever you can do just helps so much. It really does for all of us that are not pregnant or in our postpartum period too. I mean, that those three pillars are really a great reminder. It's a great reminder to me that I need to get on my Peloton today because my audience knows I had surgery, a mommy makeover, yes. breast and uterine surgery six weeks ago. So today's the first day I get to work out. Oh, and so exciting. all day, Jenna, I've been like, should I, should I, I don't yes. know. Yes. Yes. I don't know. Should. I woke up and drank a ton of water. I was like, okay, it's, 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 I'm nervous though. It's hard when, yeah. you, so if you are listening to this and you're pregnant and then you have a baby and you have this period of time where you're not exercising, it's intimidating to get back into it. But all I can say to myself and Jenna, I know is just, just do it. Everybody yeah. just go walk out, put your tennis shoes on and go for a walk at the very least, you know, get your body moving. 
when did you find, cause you know, I know your Instagram is heavy on parenting and then also exercising. Mm-hmm. When do you work out? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. So it, it depends. I mean, it really depends. So I have worked out once this week, pre-kids, I worked out every day, every single day. And then with each kid, I feel like the factors kind of scale back because if I don't sleep or if kids are sick or hello, there's a pandemic, um, there's always something that is trying to get in the way of that exercise. But even if I'm not truly like putting a label on it, like this is my workout and I'm going to the gym today, I'm moving every day. I'm always trying to make sure that my body is moving. Um, right now I'm alternating with John for early morning workouts at like five or 6 AM. And those are pretty much the only times that I can do it because once kids are up, it's just kind of like gangbusters through the day. And if I don't exercise first thing in the morning, it doesn't really get done. So Okay. Um, the later it gets in the day, the, the smaller the chances for me. That it makes me want to cringe. All my girlfriends know, like I, I'm not a morning person, and I've never been able to wake oh, up really? in the morning. Like, yeah. if you, and this is why I work nights as a doula, and Colin. I mean, listen to me. I work nights. I work days <laughs> as a doula, right. and Colin works nights because if you call me before six a.m., I'm in a terrible mood for the whole day. Like if I don't sleep, sleep is a big pillar for me. Mm -hmm. If I do not get sleep, I'm a disaster for days, Mm -hmm. for days. And so I can't be your doula at two o'clock in the morning anymore. Yeah. 25 to 40 years old, I was. And at 40 years old, I made the choice to not work nights anymore. It's so hard. All right. Well, the question that everyone is dying to know when you're 27 years old and you get pregnant in the middle of a blizzard and you you know, are, how in the world do you know you're in labor? Like, did you, did, and and I guess part of that is like, did you have a doula for number one and number two? I did not. I was actually induced with my first and my second. Oh, okay. um, Because I have a really cool thing. It's called gestational thrombocytopenia, which basically means that my platelet count gets really low when I'm pregnant. Um, and it's only when I'm pregnant and the biggest factor that it has the effect on is my ability to get an epidural or not. So expound on that because I know all about that, Right. but there's people out there that are like, you can't get an epidural. What's gestational thrombocytopenia, right? Okay. So my platelet count gets really low. Your platelets are what help you like clot your blood, right? So if I... I'm getting an epidural and for whatever reason, something happens, my chance of having more of a hemorrhage is higher. And so what we did with both Emily and Sophie's labors and births was I was induced because I knew I wanted an epidural. And what we would do is we would time the end of my pregnancies with a round of steroids. So the steroids would boost my platelet counts and they would also like make me legitimately crazy. I was like just all kinds of whacked out. And then at the end of my dose of steroids is when they would schedule my induction so that my platelet count was as high as it could be. And then I would have my option to get the epidural during labor. Um, And my understanding is that's not necessary if you're planning to go unmedicated. Correct. So labors three and four were unmedicated and I did not have to have any steroids and I did not have any, um, pain intervention at all. 
Got it. Now, but that's a risk, right? Because what if we didn't do the round of steroids Mm -hmm. and then you had a 52 hour labor? You just got to suffer through it? Yeah, I would have. Or I could have opted for other pain methods, right? Right. Management methods. But um, I wasn't I wasn't interested in doing any of like the narcotic pain methods. Um, And actually with the pandemic, nitrous oxide, isn't that? nitrous. Yep. Yep. It's been in and out of the hospitals depending on like the surges of the pandemic. So it wasn't guaranteed that that was an option for me either. And in my local area, my health insurance practice and the anesthesia practice in our area are like battling back and forth about epidural costs and what they um, are in or out of. um, What's it called, Heidi? Like, in network, in like network if it's, thinking. yeah, yep. it's going to be covered. Right. And so <laughs> all of those added up to like, well, maybe I just go unmedicated. It seems a little bit more simple. And, yeah. And, so. and is it, it's United Healthcare, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So for some reason, the anesthesiology group in our area in Charlotte, North Carolina is not in network with United Healthcare, but yet there's no other anesthesiologist available at the hospital. Right. So if you have United Healthcare and you're pregnant in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you want to have an epidural at this particular hospital, you have to pay cash for it. Yes. And that's it's crazy. a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I know that there are a lot of people that that's not, you, that you can't afford that. Like that's just... A lot. Um, yeah. And they also are going back and forth for months and months afterwards trying to do the whole paperwork battle. And I just wasn't interested in. Wasn't interested in it. Yeah. So, okay. So gestational thrombocytopenia means you only have this condition when you're pregnant. Okay. Yep. Because there is idiopathic, which means like this is something you have all of the time. Right. Now, the next question people are like, how do you know that you have that? Well, when you get pregnant, you go in and they do like a general regular blood workup. And um, when I was pregnant with Emily, my first OB appointment was actually when we were still living in Pennsylvania. It was before we even moved back to North Carolina. And I was not super close with that particular OB. And they had me going to a hematologist and like doing all these extras like screenings and stuff. And I moved and switched and I, um, ended up with an OB that I think is on the later end of his career and is probably the most relaxed. I've seen it all. Don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it kind of people. And he made it seem like it was far less of a tragedy than my original provider did. So I was really glad that I switched. Um, but it all was from just an initial blood screen from, from those early, early, early days. Yeah. So what I want the audience to hear is that if you, in those early blood screens, if you happen to throw gestational thrombocytopenia, right? Don't worry. If you want to have an epidural, you can have one. And we're going to get into Jenna's epidurals, right? By doing a round of steroids and timing an induction. Yep. If you, if that, if you don't want to sign up for all of that, then I would hire a doula and go for an unmedicated birth. Right. So Back to Emily. Yeah. I had asked the question and then I, I threw you way off with all my <laughs> other questions. Sorry. <laughs> so I had said, how do you know you're in labor? And then I'm like, oh, okay. So you go in for your induction. How many weeks gestation are you? I was 39 and five, six. 
It's okay. 39 weeks and six days because she was born the day before her due date, right? And the 39 weeks and five days then. Depends on how long you were induced for. I don't know. So let's get into it. Yeah. Okay. So you get into the hospital and um, I'm assuming they do a vaginal exam. Uh, Nope. I sat in the waiting room for three hours. Okay. That's fine. So I got there and they were like, oh, you know what? We're really full and you're not in labor. So you're going to just hang out for a little bit. So I was like super nervous driving into the hospital. I'm like, I know I'm going to be induced. I have no idea what's going to happen. They wanted to do Cervidel overnight the night before because I was completely just, you know, first kid. I was locked up. I was like, just not, there was no progression whatsoever. Okay. So um, I got there. And then finally around like 11 o'clock or midnight was when I got admitted, put me in a delivery room, did some Cervidel and they were like, all right, like sleep well. And I just was like in a hospital bed hanging out for a little bit and letting the Cervidel work. And then in the morning they started Pitocin. Okay. So a couple of things I want the audience to know is Cervidil is a prostaglandin. It goes in your vagina like a tampon. Yep. And it stay can stay in for up to 12 hours. And the point is to help soften or ripen the cervix. So we've got a thick cervix that's a 0% effaced and hard. And the whole point of Cervidil is to soften it, thin it, and maybe dilate you a little bit. Okay. Now, then, then once they've done that, sometimes they'll do what they did with you, start Pitocin mm-hmm. in the morning. So tell me about it. <laughs> Did you sleep at all? Uh, No. But also I think, you know, does anyone ever sleep well in the hospital? No. Especially before you have your first kid. No. Especially when you know what's coming. Like I have a human being inside of me that I need to push out tomorrow. Yeah. No. (laughs) Do you know what I would have told you if I was your doula? What? And some people don't want to do this, but I would have told you to take a sleep aid. Well, they would have given it to me if I had been admitted earlier. So the nurses even said, they were like, we're sorry that you had to wait. You have passed that threshold for like being able to have um, some sort of a sleep aid for the evening. Cause we want you to be up early so that you can start Pitocin and me being 27 year old, like yeah. clueless Jenna. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks for letting me know. Good night. Like <laughs> Do- doula over here is like, F that. Give me the Ambien at 1am. You know what I mean? For sure. Oh my so, gosh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's okay though. You just, most people I'm saying this because most people don't know to ask, right? right like, no. And if you they put you to bed at eleven and you're still awake at one, push your button and ask for your right. you know your sleep aid. Yeah. So in the morning they wake you up. Do they let you eat anything? Uh, I snuck a clementine and a Cliff Bar in the bathroom. They wouldn't Good let girl. me eat, and so I was like, I'm gonna um just gonna go to the bathroom for a minute. And I like stole snacks out of my bag and ate them in the bathroom, and then came out and was like, All right, I'm ready for the day. Oh my God. I love you. Good girl. Withholding food from a birthing person is both unethical and not evidence-based. So eat it up, girl. I'm I'm proud of you. I I need breakfast. I'm one of those people. So you said you need sleep, Mm -hmm. you need food Mm -hmm. and you need exercise. And if they're going to take the first two things away from you, I mean, what kind of experience are we about to have? It's not like we're, I mean, I I would say labor is exercise, but you know, (laughs) you also need sleep and you need food, right? Right. Like these are our pillars. For sure. Um, So they start Pitocin in the morning. Yes. When did you start feeling something? So apparently I was contracting overnight because they have Mm -hmm. you on monitors um, while you're trying to sleep. And I was so... 
physically unaware of what it felt like to have a contraction, like even legitimately like a Braxton Hicks, I didn't really know that I was contracting. And the nurse came in and was like, look, you're contracting all on your own. This is amazing. And I'm like, I am? Oh. Um, she was like showing me on the monitor how it was going up and down, whatever else. And so when they started me on the Pitocin, they're like, we're going to really ramp you up. Like, are you ready for this? And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, why not? Let's, let's have a baby. So they opened me all the way up in my Pitocin. So it went from like zero to very intense, very quickly for me, because one, I did not, I did not have any understanding of like what it was that I was anticipating. And two, it was just kind of like, oh, this is what labor feels like. I don't know if I'm ready for this. This is a lot. Yeah. And opening it wide up, Jenna, means going up in increments of two. So from two to a max dose of 20, sometimes they'll do a max dose of 30 if you have special approval or an intrauterine pressure catheter to make sure they're looking at the strength of contractions but Mm -hmm. that means that like in a very short period of time so if we go up by two every 30 minutes right like within a couple of hours you're up to 20 yep so I think I got up to 10 before I was like white flag give me the epidural I'm done okay no more so really I mean that's just that's just like two hours three hours right Mm -hmm. like you're to get to 10 so you've just got a couple of turns and you're like you're feeling it. Did they do a vaginal exam before your epidural? Like, did you have any idea how dilated you were? I think I was maybe a centimeter. And I was like really disappointed because I really wanted to be more having done the cervidal and everything else. But first baby, like that was, that was progress. And I was trying to- That was progress. Right. Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So you get this epidural. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Did you, did you love it? Did you hate it? How did it go? Um, Okay. So- Epidural is like a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because it's great pain management. Mm -hmm. I had a fantastic epidural with Emily. I did not feel anything. I actually thought it was hilarious because I'd be like, come here, poke my butt. I can't feel anything. Poke my leg. I feel nothing. (laughs) I thought it was so funny. But the flip side of it is, is that it's also scary when you, when you learn about what the procedure is, it's scary having the procedure. Um, And, you know, you have to be at least a little bit aware of what it is that you're committing to. Um, so my experience with getting my epidural with Emily was I was really worried that John was going to pass out. If I'm being totally honest, I was really afraid that he was going to pass out because he knew what was happening. My mom was, my mom was actually there for Emily's birth. So she was there and, and John was there and they only allow one support person when you get your epidural. So my mom left and John was sitting in front of me and they have you hunch over. And for me, the hardest part was that you have to be very still because you're getting a needle put into your spine and that's important. But at the same time, I was really unprepared for how to manage the the pain that I was experiencing. Um, my, my initial reaction was just to clench. I was, I was literally just doing a, I don't, I mean, obviously on a podcast you can't see, but just imagine I'm making like a uh, face. Like it was just not relaxed. There was nothing pulling about up it. and holding in. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. so once that epidural was in, it definitely allowed me the opportunity to relax. And I'm glad that I got it because I felt like it helped me learn and experience in her birth more than I may have otherwise, because I had finally just been able to like relax and breathe a little bit. 
Yeah. So the epidural really helped be a teacher for you. Yeah. For so sure. that it, you could be like, oh, this is what it feels like to relax my bottom mm-hmm. and to breathe through a contraction. And you felt the pressure. I'm assuming you still yes. felt pres- pressure, yes. but not like all of the pain. Yes. I think that's a really good a good thing to note about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I dedicated an entire module to the epidural procedure in my online course for Birth Story Academy because I felt like 60 to 80% of people go into their births and are like, I'm not going to get an epidural. And yet 80 to 90% of first time birthing persons get an epidural. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I like, and we don't know what to do. Like, how do you sit still? So I have this random one-two method where I think it's really important to communicate to the anesthesiologist, which is like one, a contraction is starting and two, the contraction is completely over. Mm-hmm. And then that helps them be able to work in between. Mm-hmm. So if you can, if you're able to communicate or your partner is able to communicate, you know, then you can tell the anesthesiologist like, hold the phone. You got to work in between contractions because yeah, it's real hard to sit still. So helpful to, yes, for sure. Yeah. After your epidural went in and you were relaxed, how long after till you delivered? Uh, let's see. Epidural went in probably around one and Emily was born at eight, eight something. That's so fast. Yeah. For a first time. So less what? than 24 hours yes. for an induction for a first time. Like that's so fast. Yes, which will be a theme going forward. Yes. We can talk about the speed of it as we continue. Yeah. <laughs> what I want everyone listening to hear is the average induction for a Bishop score of zero where you need cervidals three to five days. So less than 24 hours for a first time birth with an induction is very fast. Yes. Okay. So from 1 p.m. to 8 p.m., what'd you do? Uh... I just kind of hung out. We actually had like a two hour discussion about circumcision in the delivery room, which is hilarious because obviously Emily's a girl. So that was not a necessary discussion whatsoever. But you Um, didn't know the assigned sex. I did, but nobody else did. Okay. So I could not help So this is you throwing John off? Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. So we had this whole lengthy discussion and then here this sweet little girl is born and my mom and John are like, seriously, we could have talked about something else for a really long time. Like, why did we discuss this for so long? Like, I was playing the game. Like, I was not going to give anything away. That's hilarious. Yeah, so we... We talked, um, my dad, his office, he's a dentist, is right around the corner from the hospital. So my dad came over and hung out for a while. Um, this was, you know, pre-pandemic where you could have people come and visit you. Yeah. Um, and hilariously, I was so, so glad to see him when he came in. Like he's just, he's one of those people that like lightens a room. And so he was, he was fun to have in a delivery room, which I know is a weird thing to say. And then he left before things got really going. Um, and then towards the end, I started to really feel nauseous. I mean, you know, you're, you're on a full day of not eating anything and you do have an epidural and that can be a side effect of epidurals is to obviously not feel well. And obviously labor in general can make you feel nauseous. So I ended up taking a little bit of a nap Okay. and then I woke up and my OB was there. He was actually on call, which was really nice. And he was like, Oh, let's have a baby. I'm like, Oh, okay. And I had not realized when I finally took my nap, I relaxed enough that she had descended all the way down and was like ready to come out. So, okay. Um, now 
Did they do a vaginal exam to determine yes. that? Okay, so yes. he kind of came in and was like just to check on how things were going. Mm-hmm. And then was like, oh, like you're 10 plus two. Like, yeah. let's have a baby. Like, you're ready. Let's go. Like, okay, awesome. Yep. How um, how many times did you push or how long was your pushing period? Mm, with Emily, I think it was seven minutes. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. This is this is leading us down a journey of how the rest of your births I may know. go. So you pushed it about seven not, minutes. Yeah, it is not difficult. Like, please don't take any of this and, and think like everybody is different. Every story is different. And for whatever reason, my body just really um, is very proficient at at birthing children. It and, is. And so, yes, I I pushed for seven minutes for her to come out. But what, what, what I want my audience to hear is that you labored down. You didn't have a vaginal exam, so you had no idea where you were, but while you were sound asleep with an epidural, fully relaxed, Mm -hmm. fully surrendering when you were nauseous, you were probably in transition, wink, wink, you know, Mm -hmm. but like when you were fully relaxed, like you can push your baby's head from a zero 10, if you're 10 and zero centimeters, you can push the baby out it's much quicker or you can just lay there and take a nap and let your body do all the work while you're sleeping and then you just push for a little bit did you have any tearing I did I had second degree tearing with Emily and got maybe two or three stitches okay um and they fixed it right there I still was relatively numb so I feel like that's one thing that most women are like really really scared about it's like oh my gosh it's gonna hurt so bad to have tearing and to get stitches and all that kind of stuff and like at the end of everything that you just did, it's like, you know, there's a baby on your chest. You're not even thinking really about like what else is happening down below at all. Yeah. The only time it's really sucky is when there's like a ton of hemorrhoids. Yeah. I swear to you, hemorrhoids hurt way worse than tearing. Those are evil. <laughs> like like you give birth and you're like, but my butt, right. my butt hurts so bad. Yes. Like who cares yes. about the vagina? That, yeah, no. That heals pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Well, let's jump forward to Sophie's birth. Okay. Okay. So you, how many years later do you get pregnant again? Uh, nine months. Okay. Well, year, years, there we go. So nine months later, yep. you are pregnant again. Yep. So then 18 months later, you're getting ready to give birth again. Yes. So do you, at this point, like you're 29 years old, I'm yep. assuming. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're 29. You've had this, this, do you, once you have gestational thrombocytopenia, do you always have it? Um, I'll let you know. I don't. Okay. I don't think so. Um, okay. I think what will happen is I have to wait until after I'm finished breastfeeding and my hormones kind of regulate again from everything else, and then they'll start to look at those CBC counts again to know okay. for sure. I don't you, think so. But you went like. Pregnant, breastfeeding, pregnant, breastfeeding, pregnant, breastfeeding. Okay, got it. So it's been it's been years. How old is Emily? She's five. Okay, so it's been like five years of Mm -hmm. consistently just being pregnant or breastfeeding. So we don't know. Okay, so you get so you get pregnant again, and your your blood work says you have gestational thrombocytopenia still. Yep. Yep. And did you think about like with Sophie? Were you like, hmm, I loved that epidural. Let's do that again. Or were you like, maybe we could do an unmedicated birth? Like, where was your headspace? My headspace was a little bit of panic of the fact that I was going to have two kids under the age of two. Um, (laughs) And so if I'm being honest, the birth was more of like, all right, let's do it again. Like, here we go again. I just did this. We got this. We're going to do it again. And I, I pretty much wanted to just repeat everything that happened with Emily because it was 
a great birth and it was um, not an exceptionally difficult one. And um, if I could have replicated that, I would have. The only thing is, is that no two births are ever alike, right? Mm -hmm. And so me trying to have the same journey again was not going to happen. Um, we did do a lot of things similarly. I was induced again. I did have Pitocin again. I did opt for an epidural again, but it was a different experience. Okay. So let's break that down. So you do the steroids again. Yes. When do you, what gestation do they do that for you to go in? Uh, I actually had her on the earlier side. It was, um, more towards the beginning of 39 weeks versus the end. So she was born a few days earlier than Emily was gestationally. Okay. Got it. It was there a reason for that or just scheduling? Um, it was scheduling. It was that my OB knew me this time around and was just kind of like, this is this is what we can do. And then also I think it just kind of depends on when the hospital has availability, how busy they are, how many people are having babies at that time. And that's when I was able to get on the list. Okay, got it. Did they do the same thing with Cervidil at night? They didn't have to. I was um, three centimeters when I went in for my induction with Sophie. Okay, so your bishop score was very high, meaning you didn't have to do any cervical ripening. So there wasn't a need for Cytotec or Cervidil or a Cook's catheter, which is the balloon. So did what did they do? What was the plan? Just Pitocin? Yeah. So I my my time was 11 a.m. I went in about 11 a.m. and they put me in my delivery room, which funny enough, it was actually the same room that Emily was delivered in, um, which my. John, he, my husband is very good with numbers. And he's like, this is the same room number. I remember the room number. This is the same room number. I'm like, cool, let's have a baby. Um, And so (laughs) we go in, they got me hooked up to my IV. They got me hooked up with a Pitocin. That was 11 a.m. And she was born at 5, 15 p.m. Okay, so fast. Yes. Did they break your water for you or did it break on its own? They broke my water with both bursts for me. Okay. Um, And... Yeah, I opted for that. Okay, that's really, really fast. So now your second induction is essentially less than six hours. Yes. When when in the world did you have time for an epidural? Well, what they did was they preemptively gave it to me. So I was not really in a ton of pain yet. I was definitely feeling contractions, but they basically hooked me up to everything and then had the anesthesiologist called and the anesthesiologist came when it was good in their availability so that I was guaranteed to have the epidural. Got Um, it. How did it go? It was challenging. This epidural was, um, was definitely memorable. I think what happened again, you're having contractions. I don't know how to manage these contractions because with Emily, my management was to get an epidural. I didn't learn how to breathe through them. I clenched through all of the contractions that I experienced with her with Sophie's birth. As soon as I was feeling them, again, I didn't really understand how to cope with them. And so during the epidural procedure, I was contracting. I did not advocate for myself and say things like, I need to take a break or can we wait until this contraction is finished? I just was was grinning and bearing it. I mean, literally. And when it happened, I, I have no fault whatsoever towards the um, anesthesiologist, but it was a very painful procedure. There was something that was a nerve that was touched or something that, that caused me to react involuntarily. And I like arched my back mid procedure, like 
whatever they struck, it okay. caused me to to react. Um, That's a reflex, okay? okay? We're not control of our reflexes. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I said a lot of bad words, things I don't normally say um, at all. And there was a lot of yelling. And then the contraction finished. They finished the epidural. And I was able to relax. And of course, then me being me, I was apologizing to everybody. Like, I'm so sorry I said those words. I promise I didn't mean them. Like, thank you so much for your time. Like, all these things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't believe I did that. This but. is like the story of their life, though, you know? So, <laughs> right? like, sure. they, people, they anesthesia comes in and they're like, what, what fucking took you so long? You know what I mean? And then they're yelling and I'm hurrying up. And I just, right. you know, and then somebody asks a question, like, do you have a history of, and they're like, no, just put it in. And then right. they're like, I'm so sorry. You're so my sorry. angel. I love you. You're <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. That was me. Um, that was definitely Once me. it was in though, did you feel okay? I felt okay. It definitely wasn't as strong as Emily's. Emily's, okay. I'm like, hey, pinch this. I can't feel anything. Sophie's it okay. was more like I still had relative feeling. I could feel myself contracting, but it was not immensely painful. So it okay. took away a lot of the pain reception, but it didn't take away a lot of the feeling, if that's okay. If that's understandable. Yeah. It okay. wasn't as good of an epidural as mm -hmm. you had with Emily. Mm -hmm. Um, did you have to get a, did you have a headache or have to have a blood patch or anything like that? Or was it no. just, it was just not the epidural space. I mean, you have to be in the perfect space, right? You'll hear people all the time say it only worked on my left side or it only mm -hmm. worked on my right side, or it was like too high or, mm -hmm. you know, when an epidural is like Emily's, when it works, it's amazing. Right. When it's not amazing, it's very frustrating. Yes. Yeah. So thankfully you only had to deal with that for a couple of hours. Right. So let's say, what time do you think you got your epidural? Probably about one. One. Okay. So four hours. Great. Mm -hmm. did. You had to deal with that. Okay. Right. Now this time, how did you know it was time to push and deliver a baby? I felt her head like okay. coming down because okay. I had more feeling and because I had done it once before. I was a little more aware of what was going on. I also okay. advocated for myself a little bit more. And so I was like, okay, it's, I, I feel like it's, it's getting close to time. I feel, um, pressure in that area and wanted to, okay. to ask for help with it. Okay. So what the OB comes in and gives a, you a vaginal exam. Yep. Okay. Uh, it might've been the nurse actually. Okay. And then from there, you know, it's like, I always think it's hilarious when they get you set up, like the delivery room set up. It's like a, a pit crew, like a race car pit crew. Like yeah. everybody comes in and there's just <laughs> stuff everywhere and the lights are changing and, and you're like, oh, okay, we're having a baby now. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, they could do it softer and gentler and slower, but you know. Yeah, but they also do it a bunch do during it the day. So, fast. so yeah. They have the carts all lined up in the hallway, like yeah. ready to go. They just like I love when they bring the cart in because I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, exactly. You know? It can be very motivating too, because you're like, Oh, okay, I'm done here. Yeah. Um, how long how long did you push with Sophie? Five minutes. Oh my god. Okay. Again, atypical, please don't take any of this is my story. This is not, you know, what happens a lot. Um, yes, five minutes. But, but some people, say, oh, okay. go ahead. <laughs> well, I say five minutes, there's, there's a flip side to this, which we can continue to talk about. But 
five minutes means that she was born really quickly, which means that all of the mucus was not squeezed out of her lungs. So second time mom, I'm at least not as, as unknowledgeable on these things, but she was like coughing up some mucus for a little bit afterwards. That's such a good point. When they're born that fast, they can tear you. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they don't sit on your perineum for a long time stretching you Mm -hmm. and they don't get squeezed for as long to get all that fluid and mucus out of their lungs. So um, so you guys, what Jenna and I are saying is like there is a benefit to pushing for a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) or at least the baby crowning for a long time. You know, getting emerging slowly, right? Um, Did she have to do any NICU time? She did not have to do any NICU time, but there was um, a NICU team that came and had to evaluate her because she was breathing a little oddly. And I felt so embarrassed as her mom because I'm holding her and I did not realize that the sounds that she was making were not like cuddly newborn cooing kind of sounds they were like she's got mucus in her lungs she's trying to like get out and wasn't breathing as well as she could have and the nurse heard it and was like we're gonna have her evaluated and then once they evaluated her and they kind of got a little bit more of the mucus out she spit more of it out over the next day or so she was fine but as a mom I felt horribly guilty that I was like not noticing that that was something that was important. You are not supposed to know your one minute old sounds, you know, right? Like it takes time. It's like any relationship. Yes, It takes time. You know, Mm -hmm. I had a mom who delivered right after you on this fourth one. Mm -hmm. Okay. On your fourth baby. And, um, I was laboring with her the whole time and she had this cough Mm -hmm. and my mommy instinct was like, God, something is not right. I have never heard a cough like that before you know and I spoke up a couple of times like hey her heart baseline heart rate's like a little bit high and you know I'm not a medical person though I'm like her doula but I was like hey I feel like it's weird that her like baseline heart rate's like 125 and um she's just got this cough and she had been sick you know so everybody in the room is just like whatever she's sick she's got a cold we're in the middle of COVID so she was COVID negative but it was like oh she's got a cold anyway she had a pulmonary embolism (laughs) so how do you know? You know what I mean? I, I carry mm-hmm. guilt, like not knowing. And then I'm like, cause my mommy instinct was like, something's different, but yeah, not enough to really know, you know, we have to let these things go. Right. Yeah. Like we're not supposed to know the first time we meet someone, even our babies, all their sounds mm-hmm. and their quirks. We get to yes. know them pretty quickly, but you know, yeah. um, so she's, she's good. She doesn't go to the NICU. She stays on your chest. Like, yep. and now you go home with two kids under two. Yeah, we do. So do, do you guys ever add birth control? Nope. No. Nope. Okay. So you just have to be, you're just, are you being careful or are you just like, we're going to keep going on with life? Like, is there, are you trying to not get pregnant in between babies? Or are you just like, Hey, as quick as they come together, they come. Both. I mean, like we would not actively try to conceive, but at the same time we were not um, doing anything to be overly cautious. Okay. I also am, am one of those people that I'm not a huge fan of being pregnant. And so for me, I was willing to have my kids closer together 
to be able to have that stage completed. And I know that that sounds ungrateful if you are struggling through fertility or anything like that, but um, pregnancy, not my favorite stage of life. And I'm very grateful that I have completed all of my pregnancies for my life. And and now I'm moving on, getting rid of my maternity clothes. Yes, I love it. I will tell you this as someone who did fertility and also felt that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I did fertility treatments or, you know, hormones for 10 months before I got pregnant. I hated being pregnant. Mm -hmm. As soon as I gave birth, I looked at my husband and said, if you, because we had originally said we were going to have four. And I said, if, if you want another one, I have, you have to get me pregnant right away. Way. And I was pregnant f- within five months because I, I had to be done with it. You know? yeah. And then like three months later, like he had a vasectomy. And then two years later, I was like, no, I want to have another baby, you know, right. but I, I feel that, you know, I, it, I don't want you to discount like uh, even people who have a long fertility journey too, like can still hate being pregnant. That's, and that's fine. They're you know. totally allowed to feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I totally agree. Yeah. So it's okay. Everyone listening, it's okay to really want to be a parent and not like pregnancy. Yes. And some people love it. My sister, yes. gosh, she loved it. She would have been a surrogate. She loved pregnancy. And I was like, you are weird. I don't know who loves I've got a friend like that. She's like, it's just this amazing, miraculous time. And I'm like, it is, but also where are my feet? I cannot find them. (laughs) And for someone like you who likes to work out every day and have ownership of their body. I mean, that's hard. Did you tandem nurse? No, no. Okay. I wasn't sure like how your nursing Mm -hmm. journey was going. So at some point you stopped nursing. I did. Emily, um, all of my kids, I nursed between 11 and 12 months. And then by that point they were done. And so was I, um, it wasn't anything that I forced or like timed with. It was just more, um, they all kind of weaned themselves on their own timing. Okay. So Jenna, this is crazy because I know your fourth was just born in September. Okay. So I'm like, I mean, you're, if you're not having any more, like, like you're almost done. Yeah. Like, like this journey of like all these pregnancies and nursings and like, whatever, like, like your your the arrival is about to happen it's like weird. that. It's, it's so weird. crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to go like in October of 2022. You need like a vacation with just you and John. Oh, we're like, planning one. We are no pump. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like I'm so excited. Yes. Like this really interesting, and then and then dream and talk about what the next phase of life looks like because mm-hmm. this one you know, enjoy it for the next six or seven months, but it's coming to a close. Yeah. It's weird. You know, very bittersweet. I know. And then the real parenting and push-ups begins, you know? Oh gosh. Um, all right. Well let's jump. I'm, I know we're jumping you guys, but that's because there's four. Let's just jump ahead to Maggie. So you're pregnant with number three, how many months or years later? Um, Matt, between Sophie and Maggie, there's 26 months okay. apart. So a little bit longer. I had a four month window where I was not pregnant and I was not nursing. And it's the only time that I've had that window in the last five years. Wow. Well, now I guess it'll be almost six. Yeah. That I've done, but okay. yeah. So there, we waited just a little bit longer. Um, and I was, got pregnant in August of 2019 with Maggie. Okay. And no miscarriages. No. In between. Have you no. ever had a miscarriage? No. 
Oh my gosh. Very, I know. Very fortunate. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to note that for people that mm-hmm. like sometimes there's breaks. Sometimes people have four kids and there's breaks because there was a loss in between. So no, August- the break was the break was um, for our sanity more than anything. I mean, you know, having two kids close in age, like it's a, it's a, it's a big commitment. And um, so I was, I was enjoying a little bit of extra, just calm me time in those four months. So it was me kind of dragging my feet a little bit of like, Oh, we're going to do this again. All right. We're going to do it again. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I don't know what it's like to have four, but mine are 15 months apart. And, um, I know what it's like to, you know, do it back to back on purpose. Right. There you (laughs) go. So you get pregnant with Maggie. Yep. Okay. Now this is inter Heidi into Jenna's world, right? Like, so I was your doula that you had chosen. Mm -hmm. Can you tell people how you went from like, let's take steroids, do this planned epidural to I'm going to hire a doula. Okay. So after Sophie's birth, I had these phantom back spasms for like several months from my epidural. It was in the exact spot that I had my epidural. It would happen when I was sleeping and I would wake up arched just like I was during my epidural. And I did not want to experience that again, but I did not know what the heck I was going to do because I've delivered two babies, but at the same time, I don't know how to cope with a lot of the things that go into delivering a baby. So I'm doing reading and all the reading says, hire a doula, hire a doula, find a doula. And I'm like, what is this doula? Let's find one. So I go on to Facebook, onto the mom to mom group, which um, I typed in the search bar, Charlotte doula. And Heidi's name comes up over and over and over again. Everybody's just going, if you want to hire a doula, you got to hire Heidi. Like Heidi's your gal, Heidi's your gal. And I found a couple of other people And for whatever reason, Heidi was just the one that I was like, okay, I'm going to call her. So I called you. Mm -hmm. And then we talked for like an hour and a half. Yep. And And then we decided you could do it. Yep. I'm like, we decided. You decided you could do it. Well, no, we decided because in in our conversation, you had already fully booked your May of 2020. And you were like, I think I might be able to just squeeze you in. I'll just squeeze you and we'll see what happens. And I'm like, okay, this sounds great. And so um, I feel like, you know, it was, it was meant to be. Yes. Okay. But let's talk about May of 2020. Let's. Okay. There's this thing called COVID. Yeah. That... It was early pandemic days. My mother yeah. and I were talking about this last night. Like I wish there was a way to go back to have been able to know some of the things that we were doing in early pandemic days and be like, Oh, that was dumb. Like you didn't have to do that. Like spraying down your groceries, man, we sprayed every single edge of every grocery that we brought into our house. Those couple of months, the beginning. I mean, every Amazon box I wiped down with Clorox. (laughs) We put, if we got takeout, we put it inside of a cardboard box and then sanitize the outside of everything before we brought it in our house. And then we'd just carry the food cartons into the house. Like surfaces were scary. And maybe we should still be doing that. But maybe. But who knows? But we're not. No. I mean, I just published an episode on how to survive Disney World oh. while pregnant. Oh. And the episode should have been how to not get COVID at Disney World because 
we didn't tell anyone we went to Disney in Animal Kingdom because we were like embarrassed that in the middle of the December 2021 surge of Omicron or whatever the hell Mm -hmm. that name is, we decide to go to the most infectious place ever, Florida. Yeah, but it's outside. Yeah. And guess what? We wore N95s and I can confidently say no one got COVID and it was awesome. All right. So we're in these early days and we decide we're going to do this. Yes. But we have no idea like what the hospital like policies and procedures and and all of the things are going to be. They changed like every week. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how we had a backup plan because all I can't remember. Did I, I ended up going to Montana, right? Yep, you were out yep. of town. We had backup doula. She, um, I sh- was supposed to be back in town. I was in Montana for like March, April, and I was supposed to be back at the beginning of May. Yes. Um, but you were not back yet, which was fine because I was taken care of by Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. she was wonderful. She came, um, and did like a midwives, natural induction, let's get it going kind of thing. And the reason was because I was feeling the time pressure because my dad being a dentist was closed for several months and we needed him and my mom because they lived down the street from us to watch the older two kids while we went to deliver Maggie, Mm -hmm. but he was going back to work because it was time for him to reopen his practice. So I felt this window where he was going back to work, but Maggie hadn't been born yet. And we needed to like get things going so that they could at least watch the kids long enough for me to be able to get home from the hospital and he to go back to work and not to bring COVID into our new born baby's house. Yeah. It was a little stressful. So Sarah was Sage Mama Doula and she's sagemamadoula.com is... Mm -hmm. Um, simply a miracle, right? So she is a an herbalist. Mm-hmm. She is a doula, and she is a home birth midwife. Mm-hmm. She's incredible. So she came over to give you yes. um, what you give yourself, but to give the recommendations of some natural herbal induction things. What are some of the things that she did? Um, she gave me cervical massage and I wouldn't say it was Mm -hmm. a sweep. It was definitely a massage because when you go to the OB and you get a sweep, it hurts, right? Like it just Mm -hmm. is, it doesn't feel good. But what Sarah did was she took her time. She was very gentle. She was very patient. And she was, um, it was really cool because she was like, oh, you're about two, maybe, maybe a soft three centimeters. And she's like, I feel your baby's head she's right there. And I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. Like I forgot that like when you do this, like there's this baby right there, like I'm going to meet this child. And so she was so sweet and just very, very encouraging. She did that. She brought over blue cohosh. She brought over a very potent red raspberry leaf, like delicious tea brew that she had me on like certain intervals with drinking it. She brought over, um, castor oil, which she was like, you can do if you want. And I was like, I don't want to do that yet. Okay. <laughs> um, and then there was something else. And then also an enema as well. Okay. All right. So did you do everything besides the castor oil? I did. Okay. And I did like all the timing. I basically was just like, I am home today. I am dedicating my time to this. I am, I am going to do all of the things, walking, whatever I can do. Um, 
the mile circuit, everything. I was, mm-hmm. it was like my full-time job that day, besides obviously taking care of the other kids was to go into labor. Yeah. And, and the mile circuit is amazing. That's milescircuit.com. M-I-L-E-S circuit.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just different positions and stuff to help get your labor going when you're already having signs or doing an herbal induction. Um, the cervical massage was to release prostaglandins. So that can kind of kickstart, soften your cervix some more and kind of kickstart labor. How many weeks were you? Uh, like mid 39. Yeah. No, she was due. No, I was 30, 39 weeks in like five days because she okay. was due on John's birthday, but she was, she was born two days before. Okay. So we were right in there and you're like basically your gestational times from when you gave birth to Emily and Sophie and you were having a, a lot of prodromal labor, so much prodromal, so labor. Much prodromal yes. labor. So your body was ready. We knew it would likely respond to something. Okay. So you do all the things. What happens? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I literally cried myself to sleep that night. And John, looking back, like, God love him. He's such a saint. I'm like, this baby's never coming out of me. I'm going to be pregnant until I'm 80. And I'm never going to have a baby. And it's just going to be, I'm like hysterical. And he's like, I think it's time for bed. And I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, it was doing something. Yeah. It was softening that cervix and it was opening it some more. I also was contracting and not fully recognizing it because of padromal labor. I feel like yeah. that just really confused me so much. And um, so when I was contracting, I wasn't believing it because I was thinking I'm like, oh, this is nothing, right? Like I was yeah. expecting full on Emily contractions where I was like grinning down, bearing it, like not able to do anything. I didn't realize that like natural labor when it starts is not what it's like when it's in transition. It, it builds, you rest, there are breaks. And so I just went to bed. Yeah. Well, good. Yep. Just like you did with the epidural. You went just to went to sleep. Okay. And what happened? I slept through my entire early labor, woke up in active labor. Okay. So I woke up at 5 a.m. and I, I had definitely felt strong contractions overnight. It was not the best night's sleep, but also I didn't put any credence in what was happening. And I woke up and I was like, ah, maybe I should time this one. And the next one came like eight minutes later. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll time this one too. And the next one came like eight minutes later. And I woke John up and I was like, hey, I think I'm in labor. And he was like, oh, okay. I'm going to go put my out of office up and, and, and for work, I'll, I'll be back and I'm going to take the dog out and I'm just going to like, you know, get the car packed and, and whatever else. I'm like, I'm going to take a shower. What time is this? This is a little before six, maybe at like five okay. 45. I'm finally like, yeah, I should, I should, I should get up. I think I might be in labor. Stuff is happening. Okay. And you were texting me and Sarah. Yes, I was. Okay. I'm like, I'm remembering this. I just wanted to, so we're getting text messages that like, like in our mind, we're like the, you know, definitely the herbal induction has worked, right? right? Maybe not as quickly, like two hours later, but it was definitely like it was working. It was slowly softening your cervix. Those contractions were coming slowly, like like they do in a natural, spontaneous way versus yes. an induction with Cervidil and Pitocin or, right. or artificial rupture of water. Right. So... And just so the audience knows, Sarah and I are on high alert that Jen is going to go fast. Yeah. Okay. Like we were like, okay, we, 
we, ha- we Sarah had already felt the head in the cervix, right? And knew everything and her history. So we were like, this is not going to take a long time. Yeah. So you get in the shower. A little before six. Okay. And I'm in the shower and I'm like, ooh, these are good contractions. Oh, Heidi told me I should do deep squats to open my cervix. And I get like <laughs> three quarters of the way down in a squat and my water breaks everywhere in the shower. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm like trying to yell for John, but he's downstairs in our basement where we were living at the time, putting his out of office up and our other two kids are asleep. So I'm like, John. We got to go. We got to go. I don't know what to do. So I get out of the shower. I'm like, adult diaper, adult diaper. I put an adult diaper on so I didn't leak all over my house. And my contractions started coming very quickly, very quickly. It was like they went from eight minutes apart to like three to five minutes apart, if that. Yeah. So he comes back upstairs and I'm like, we got to go now. And he's like, okay. So I do not know how my mom knew, but my mom had woken up that morning and was like, oh, Jenna's going to have the baby today. So she woke up like before I was in labor, before I had told her I was in labor and she had showered and was literally standing at her door with her purse on her shoulder. And John texted and was like, hey, Jenna's in labor. And she's like, I'm on my way. Like Like at 6 a.m. Yeah, Uh she knew. Mm -hmm. We had not talked to her We had not like, we didn't want to wake her up or anything, but somehow she just knew she got to our house so fast. And we basically high fived in the driveway. Although I didn't really high five her because I was in very active, maybe even transition labor. Um, and we left and we left our house by like six 15. Okay. Okay. So, (laughs) so at this point, I think I'm talking to you Yeah, and I'm like, Sarah, you know, um, just try to get there. Yeah. Sarah was like, okay, well, when I told her I was getting in the shower, she's like, okay, I'm going to make coffee and then I will meet you at your house. I'm like, okay. I got out of the shower and I was like, no time going to the hospital. We're, we gotta go. And it was funny. Cause when you go back and you looked at the text messages, my messages were like shorter and, and more direct, less punctuation, like just, yeah. And then they just didn't make sense. And then I just stopped texting altogether. And they weren't going to let us in, right? Like, is this when that, I'm trying to remember like by May, like the hospitals were completely shut down to you, do no, us? You were, you would have been able to go in. They were letting us. You had okay. credentials for one of the hospitals, but not the other. Okay. So yeah. I was like, where I was delivering, you would have been able to go. Okay. I couldn't remember like timelines yeah. wise. So we leave 6.15. It takes us approximately 15 or so minutes to get there, right? It's okay. Before there's a lot of traffic, I do not know what John's speed limit was, um, but we got to the hospital and there's no parking spots, right? So we pull up. Of course not. And he lets me out at like the like entrance to the hospital to go find a parking spot. And I'm standing there like bent over at the side, like, okay, I don't know what to do. And oh this nurse, this wonderful nurse was like, I think you need a wheelchair, don't you? And I was like, uh-huh, I do. Yeah. So this random stranger, <laughs> she wheels me in and they start my COVID screen at like the entrance to the hospital. And I'm like, I don't have COVID. Get me to where I can deliver a baby. And the nurse is like, we're going to, we're going to go to the elevator now. I like, thank you for your time or whatever. And John is still parking the car and, um, 
we get in the elevator and there's just a bunch of nurses that are all going into their shift. And I'm sitting in this wheelchair, just like making all these feral animal noises. Like I am in it. I'm by myself. Nobody knows who I am. We get up to labor and delivery. She drops me off at labor and delivery. I'm sitting in the wheelchair and the lady at the check-in is like, can you fill out this form for me? And I'm like, no, I cannot. (laughs) I cannot. And John came up behind me and he's like, we need to get her into a delivery room now. Like she needs to deliver. And they're like, okay, we'll take you to triage. Like, uh, this is a mistake, but okay. So we wheeled me to triage. The little lady's like talking away, like, we'll get your forms filled out. Your husband can do it and this and that. They want me to get out of the wheelchair, get under triage bed. They're like, okay, can you just change into a gown? He's like, stop making her do things. Like this baby is coming. This lady is not lying. Like this is, this is happening. And there two questions that need to be is what number baby is this? And Mm -hmm. how quickly did you deliver your first right or second? You know what I mean? Like, like if I was with you, I would have been like, she has babies in three hours. Like, you know what I mean? The problem was, was that John was trying to park the car because he's a very good law abiding citizen. And he was trying to make sure that we didn't just leave our car randomly in the middle of the road. Um, And I was heavily into transition and was not able to really fully speak for myself. I could not write my own name on the admitted, uh, the admitted form versus just like even saying something like, I, I'm going to have a baby. So I climb out of the wheelchair and onto the triage bed and I'm like, I want to push. And he's like, did, did you hear that? Did it? She wants to push. She wants to push. She wants to push. And he's like talking to the nurses and they're like, okay. Um, and they're like, let's slide off this diaper. And they're like, John says, he's like, rip it off of her. Rip it. She's going to have a baby. And so they check me and I am 10 centimeters. I am like there. Maggie's head is there. Like it is time. So they roll the triage bed down the hallway. To with you in it? With me in it. I'm like, the world is seeing all of Jenna's under. Are you on your hands and knees or what? I was on my, I was on my side. Side. Like okay. gripping the side of the bed, just like making all the noises. Right. And so they wheel me down the hallway and I was put into a COVID positive room because I did not complete my COVID like screen at the beginning. And I did not complete the, um, COVID test that they were testing all the moms for, um, going into the hospital. So I'm in this COVID positive room. Everybody's, you know, around or whatever. And I'm like, there better be a doctor or somebody to catch this baby. The baby is coming now. And I pushed maybe three times and she was there. And that was it. And no doula made it. Do no doula made just it. so you know. We <laughs> made it to the hospital and we were lucky. And and she was born at 701. So when I woke up at 5 a.m. from five to seven, that's that's when she was crazy. Born. Unreal. I mean, I Unreal. could do a whole podcast on Sarah and I's conversations in the background of like, did she have a baby? Like no one's answering the phone, of course, at this point. Like what right. room are you in? Like right. there's no time. Like baby's here. All the things. Yeah. So- it was just, then there was a text that just said baby's here. Everybody got a text. My mom got a text and all it said was baby is here. And that was it because it was just like, what just happened? What just happened? What just happened? Okay. So we're, I, we, we got to keep rolling into yep. baby number four. But remember we said earlier, you guys, everyone has a different hard. Can you just 
tell Maggie's diagnosis so that if someone else is listening, they know they could reach out to you. Yes. So when Maggie was born, she was born so quickly. She did not have the mucus pushed from her lungs at all. And she was not breathing when she was born. So she was immediately um, put on oxygen and then did spend several days in the NICU transitioning. We were very fortunate that her lungs were fully developed. She was okay. Um, But this was definitely part of my heart because this birth was traumatic. Not only did it happen quickly, but then my baby was immediately taken from me and brought to the NICU. And I was not allowed to see her until they had her stabilized. So it was whirlwind and then all of a sudden nothing. And I'm in a room by myself with one other nurse and I'm, I'm... it's the middle of pandemic and I can't go and see my baby. And then John went and saw her. So I was really by myself and I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So that was my heart. We can, there's a whole nother podcast episode too. We can talk about that for forever, but she was okay. Yeah. But the, the fact that we're, you guys, we're talking about two hours and 15 minutes after Jenna opened her eyes, her baby was in the world and not with her. Mm-hmm. Like that is a, that is a different kind of hard. If it was my first baby also, I I think I would have handled it differently than I did. And I'm very grateful that I had had the experience of understanding, like, I know in my logical side of my brain that the best thing for her is to not be with me because she's getting medical care that she needs. But in my mom heart, oh my gosh, this is my baby. Like I need to be with this child. And I, and I, I know that if I had been near her or with her, I would have impeded what they were trying to do. I would not have been able to, to keep my hands off of her or be away from her because she was my brand new baby. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was my heart. That was, that was definitely not an easy thing for me at all. Yeah. So a, a little bit while later, <laughs> I was, it was very quick after Jenna's like, I'm pregnant again. Nine so months, ha- nine months nine again. Months. Okay. I was mm-hmm. like, it was pretty fast. So nine months later, mm-hmm. you're pregnant again. Now with your first three, right? The assigned sex was a surprise. For everyone but me. Okay. I found out. You found out, but mm-hmm. no one else, like not even John. Uh, John yeah. found out with Maggie. Okay. And we just didn't tell anybody. And okay. then with Emily and Sophie, I knew and nobody else did. Okay. And so then you're pregnant again and you have three girls. Yeah. Like, at, at, are you like, I'm definitely just having four girls at this point? Like, is your brain we were, like. Yeah, we were so sure because uh, with every child that you have, there's a certain percentage that you are likely to have that same sex again and yeah. so we're like at this point four and I'm one of five girls so we were really like oh my gosh we're just this is definitely going to be a girl and then it was not <laughs> <laughs> he's little he's the such a the so little sweet. boy comes yep. with his three bigs you know yep. oh I love it okay mm-hmm. so this time you call and I mean I think we had a realistic conversation first of all I think I was like I'm already fully booked Yo, because, yeah, you were which is insane sure. like mm-hmm. you know as soon as I don't know why but as soon as everyone finds out they're pregnant I'm like right now we're recording in January I we're booking September 
number. So as soon as you pee on a stick and you're four weeks pregnant, Heidi and Colin are fully booked. So it's crazy. So by the time our clients think to call us again, because they're like, oh, I can wait, you know, it's like, oh, so I think we were already fully booked. But I we also had this realistic conversation that was like, there isn't like a step approach to the way that dualists charge, right? It's like to be on call, it's like thousands of dollars. Right. And it was like, Jenna, you, I'm not sure on your fourth baby, you need thousands of dollars of support here. So we, so I think we just kind of agreed, like, let's just see how it happens. And if I'm meant to be in your birth space, the, it will open up and I will be there. Right. Yes. Like the, the universe will pave an opportunity for me to support you if I'm supposed to be there. So I had you penciled in on my calendar and, you know, kind of like invited you to all the doula things, but you were like, I have three kids. Like I'm not probably going to come to any of these. And like life, you know, it goes on. Right. And I was like, am I going to make it? Am I going to not make it? Is Jenna going to call me? You know, all the things. So how did you know you were in labor with number four? Uh, I didn't believe it for a little while, honestly. Okay. It was John that was like, no, it's time. Um, so I, again, had tons of prodromal labor, fourth kid. At this point, I'm like, you know what? Kid's going to come when he's going to want to come. I was so much more relaxed this time. And I went 40 weeks and two days. So he was the longest that I was pregnant as well. Um, and I... I remember very clearly when I was pregnant with Maggie, you told me you were like, you will go into labor overnight because you are a mom. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And you're like, no, moms who have other kids don't go into labor until they know that their other children are safe. And, and that is exactly what happened. So I had contractions throughout the day on the day um, before Jay was born. I'm like, yeah, this could be it. I don't know. This is annoying. I took my kids to dance. I'm driving carpool. I'm like, yeah, I should probably like, you know, time leaves at some point. I don't know, whatever. We'll see what happens. I just ignored it. Eight o'clock comes, all my kids are asleep. And I'm like, dude, I think we need to time these. And he's like, all right. Like, we can time them. I'm going to call my parents. We'll see what happens. And as the night progresses, we get closer at about midnight and I'm like starting to make noise as my contractions are happening. And I'm like swaying. I can't settle down. I'm, I'm moving around, whatever else. And John's like, you know what? I'm going to call your mom. I'm like, no, no, no. Don't wake her up. Don't wake her up. He's like, no, we need to go. Like worst case scenario, we go to the hospital and they say, this is just prodromal labor and we come back home. I'm like, I guess. Okay. So he calls my mom, my mom comes and we have, because of Maggie's birth, she was like, Oh my gosh. And so she like didn't tie her shoes. She was like there as fast as she could rushing, thinking like, this is going to be another repeat of Maggie. And this is at midnight and we go drive to the hospital and my contractions are still happening. I get into triage. I'm very calm. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're definitely in labor. You're like five to six centimeters dilated. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't believe it. Like I, I did not think I was in labor until somebody confirmed and said, yes, you are in labor because I, I just thought it was prodromal labor. I didn't want to believe it, but it was, it was. It's so crazy. And at this point, 
you're having a long labor for you. Yeah. Right. Like you had contractions all day. Yeah. It picked up at 8 p.m. It's four hours later at midnight. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's building much more, but your water's intact. Right. Yep. So like it's building slowly. Yep. Okay. So what happens next? They put me in a room. Um, they told me I was a higher risk pregnancy because I, it was my fourth child. So I had to have two IV ports. I tried very hard not to have them. And they were like, no, if you hemorrhage, you have to have them. And I was like, okay, but I don't want to be connected to anything. And they're like, okay. So the compromise was I had the IV ports in my arms, but I didn't have to be connected to anything. Um, and they gave me wireless monitoring, which was amazing. And then they left me to labor and I labored all night. Crazy, right? Mm -hmm. All night. I, I stayed up all night. It was, it was funny. Cause I was like, I don't know that I've ever really truly pulled a, a, a like desk to dawn all nighter. And that was truly one. Um, I did not sleep at all. John, Poor guy was like falling asleep in between contractions. So like every two minutes he'd be like nodding off. And then I'd be like, I need help. And he'd like wake up and help me and then like nod off again. Um, but I I was on I was most comfortable on the exercise ball. I was most comfortable when there was pressure on my lower back and a double hip squeeze. Um, and I was swaying, I was moving, I was bouncing. Um, and I was progressing very slowly, very slowly. Like, what is this? This is how, it. yeah. And you were, were you kind of in denial? Like they're telling me and I'm late, I'm in labor, but it doesn't really feel like I'm in labor. I was definitely feeling like I was in labor. I was just more like, dude, what is taking so long? Like, why yeah. is this? This is so different. And of course you being you had warned me. You're like, no, this kid's going to take a long time. This is going to be your long labor. You should be ready. And sure enough, like, yeah, he took, he took his sweet time. Three and four can be wild cards. Yes. Like for sure. Yes. Okay. Now I remember sleeping all the way through the night. So at any point were you like, we should call Heidi? I text you a couple of times because okay. I know that if I call you, I would wake you up, but texting you, I could like keep you updated. So when you woke up on your own, you'd like know what was happening and it wouldn't be a complete and total like crazy surprise again. Yeah. Um, so I had been texting you. I text you even things like, this is my room number. This is how far apart my contractions are. This is what I'm doing. Like just, you know, I guess in some ways texting you felt like talking to you. And so yeah. I kept texting you and then I got responses from you of like, OMG, I'm awake. This is what's happening. Like you. And I was awake up. early for some reason. Like you, I was awake like five or six ish. I can't because remember. Because you but. had swapped with Colin. So you were with somebody else. Someone else was laboring. Oh yeah, that's right. And you were coming into the hospital and so you had like gone home to sleep because you needed sleep. And so you guys had traded off. And when you came back in, you checked in and then you were like, oh, she's this, this other woman who is in labor. She's asleep and she has an epidural. Would it be okay That's if I right. check on you? That's like, right. Yeah. Because yes. I switched at like 530 or 6 in the morning and she was sound asleep with an epidural. And I was like, oh, she's good. I'm going to go labor with Jenna. Yeah. So you came in at around 7 okay. and I... I will, I have told everyone this. I don't know that I've ever truly cried like grateful tears of joy of like just pure and complete like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad to see this person 
in my life. Like I, I haven't experienced that until you walked in and I just felt like everything, like I just, I was shaking. I was most certainly in transition and here comes Heidi and she just, it was like, there was like a, a beam of light behind you of like, oh, here's Heidi. She's here. She's ready to take care of me. And it was just amazing. It was so good. And you were amazing. So let's talk about what worked. I mean, you were having a longer, slow labor. Yes. And, um, you know, I just remember like you were on the toilet and making you squat and do double hip squeezes. And like, I mean, it was he was taking his time to tuck his chin and mm-hmm. rotate into the right position. And, um, but I just took a picture of us on the toilet because I love transition pictures <laughs> because, you know, one eye is going to the left and one eye is going down. And, but you, you know, you were able to take a transition picture. It was kind of, it was kind of fun. So from the time I walked in at what time was he born? Eight. 850. Okay. Cause I know I wasn't with you for that long of a period of time. No. Um, so, you know, I got to be with you through, through the hard, I think through the transition and through the pushing. Yes. How long did you push with number four? Almost an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, my water had not broken. I had the option to break my water like the, the OB on call had offered to break my water earlier in the middle of the night. And I was afraid to break my water because I didn't want to rush any part of it after Maggie's birth. I want, I was okay with things going slower and at the pace that they were supposed to go at, because I was terrified that if I did anything to augment it, that I was going to hurt the delivery or my child. So I wanted to, so I waited and sure enough, we started, I started pushing and they're like, the midwives were like, did your water break yet? And I'm like, no, do you think we can break that now? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they broke my water as I was pushing. Um, and there was a ton of water. It was like, just, I was, I think in some ways it held me back from being able to progress more. Um, and I was glad that I finally did because then things really started moving from there. Mm-hmm. Jenna, like you pushed and pushed and pushed for an hour. And then like, what was it like to deliver a baby boy? Well, first of all, I pushed in all kinds of different positions. Positions. Yep. And I'm so grateful that you were there because you were like, okay, she wants to move. Okay. We're doing this. Okay. We're doing that. And the midwives there were amazing too. Um, and I think what happened was I got really tired and it just hurt. I mean, giving birth, it hurts and you have to surrender and recognize that in order to be able to, to surrender to what's happening, you have to accept that. And you gave me the pep talk of my life because you said you were like, your flight or fight response has been triggered and you need to pick, you need to choose you. This is your, your time to be a mom you have to birth this child. You have to do it. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I got on my knees and that for whatever reason was what was most comfortable for me and where I felt like I was engaging him the most. So after having chosen all these different positions on my knees was finally where it was. I was facing the head of the bed and I was Um, I will, I will never forget because I felt him descend. I felt him like engage and come down. He was, he was quick to be pushed out once he was in the right position. 
And I caught him. I was able to reach down and I was the first person to hold this child. And the first thing that he saw or that, you know, I saw was eye contact together. I pulled him up and was able to look at him and I saw him breathing and I just burst into tears because I was like, I did it. I did exactly what I wanted to do. I was safe. I was at the hospital. He was safe. He was breathing. I did it unmedicated. It was just such a full circle moment for me. And I I attribute so much of that to you being able to help me get there. So for that, I am forever grateful. Thank you. Such a God moment. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I knew that like the universe was going to put me there if I was meant to be there. And it just worked out so perfectly that I just... I was, I was always going to be there, you know, that time. Um, There's this photo of you that I took, like that moment that you're describing where you're just holding him against you and you're bawling in the emotions. Like, I mean, I never probably cried so hard at a birth ever Mm -hmm. just seeing like this, this giant wave of emotion wash over you of kind of like a redemptive birth experience after so healing it was so healing I think that that's such a good way to put it because and that's where I feel like I know that my family is complete because everything that I had been afraid of everything that I felt like maybe I had not accomplished that far everything that I felt like had not gone well did go well it was my full circle just Every single part of it, I checked all of my boxes. I just felt so healed from that experience. And it all just came rushing out as soon as he was delivered and just this wave of emotion and gratitude and and just it was it was intense. It was an immense feeling for sure. Yeah. Well, I know that we like pushed through really fast to go through four birth stories, but I hope everybody just hung in because they're just so amazing. And um, before we close, just remind us again, your Instagram and your blog. Sure. Parenthood and pushups, because those are the two biggest things in my lives right now. You know, I do a lot of parenting and I, and I try and exercise as much as I can. So parenthood and pushups on Instagram or .com. Yeah, hopefully everyone will just take a minute to follow you. Love everything parenthood and push-ups. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you for all of it. Thank you for being part of the Birth Story family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays every week are doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.